Got depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same taste, safe place. Therapy is great, and this ain't the same. But we're crying behind sunglasses, anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey, Sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm Katie Dahl, and this is a mental health podcast for cool people. Disclaimer, I am not a doctor. This is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. I'm just someone who really cares about your mental health, and I want to make it fun and easy for us to talk about it. If you're new here, don't forget to subscribe so you can keep getting the new episodes every week as I put them out. If you've been here before, welcome back. Hello. Pull up a chair. Grab a tea or a glass of wine. Write a review, please. It helps to keep this podcast going. Oh, man. I apologize in advance if this intro is a little bit lackluster. I am running on three hours of sleep. <laughs> if you tuned in last week, you already know there are 12 baby ducks and a mama duck living in my yard right now. Oh, they're very cute, but they're very stressful because these baby ducks are just very dumb and not good at trying to stay alive. <laughs> so last night, the 12 baby ducks decided that they would swim into the pool filter, even though we had blocked it off with a net. Somehow they swam around the net. So half of them were in the net and half of them were in the pool filter. The mama is standing up on the cement next to the pool, quacking. So I go outside and I was like, holy shit. So I walk over there. I open the net. All the babies swim out. I checked in the pool filter. All 12 of them were fine. They survived. But the mom got spooked and she left. And... Baby ducks, I mean, they can't survive longer than a day or two without their mom. So we were really worried. So we had to use the pool skimmer, put all of the baby ducklings into a box with hay. This was after giving the mom a few hours to come back. She didn't. So we put them in a box with hay and then put them in a safe area where predators couldn't get to them for, for them to sleep overnight. So, yeah, I only had like three hours of sleep. Like I said, the mama duck came back at 5 a.m. quacking. And so I had to go and get the babies and let them out of the box so that she could find them. So that's where we're at. We're at. And I'm sorry that this has turned into a duck cast. But I think that we will probably be evicting them from our yard pretty soon because it's just getting too stressful. Y'all, I mean... At first, I really thought they were helping me with my anxiety, as I probably might talk about in today's episode, because this was recorded a few days ago. But now I feel like they're making me more stressed out. Like, I literally, I woke up this morning with that quacking, and my heart was just pounding in my chest. Oh, man. I mean, I shouldn't have to be popping too volume. <laughs> Because there are ducks in my yard that I'm stressed out about. I have bigger things to worry about, people. But don't worry. I think the plan for now, we'll see what ends up happening, is we're going to try and capture the mama and the ducks tonight and then release them into a lake or a some sort of natural body of water or a bird rescue tomorrow. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so for today's episode, I am so happy to welcome Kim Kral. 
She is a comedian, a former reality star, and also the host of the Crawl Space podcast. She has a book coming out soon this June called Confessions of a Recovering Party Girl. Quick little trigger warning for today's episode. We have a very frank discussion about her history of childhood abuse and sexual abuse, as well as depression and suicidal thoughts. So if that's not your bag or you don't feel like being triggered, then obviously you can go pick one of the other episodes from the many other ones that are out there. But if you're interested in listening to this one, which really you should be because Kim is a kick in the pants, we talk about all the things that I just listed, as well as, you know, both of us being in the dead dads club, how we've been able to deal with that and how she's been able to heal all of her trauma using tools like ACA, which stands for the Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. So that is definitely an interesting topic and getting into talking about addiction, how we're able to deal with that, but also how it doesn't just affect the addict, it affects everyone around them, their families, their friends, etc. So definitely an interesting discussion to get into, and I hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm Katie Dahl. And today's guest, I think this is the first friend I've made on Clubhouse that I've brought into the real world. So, this is exciting for me. (laughs) She has a podcast called Crawl Space. She also has a book coming out uh, this summer called Confessions of a Recovering Party Girl. Please welcome Kim Crawl. Hello. Hi. How are you? Yeah, you're my first friend on on Clubhouse too. That was my first Clubhouse ever also. So I was like all around new. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's me. exciting. Yeah, it's a weird app, right? It's like, it's kind of like a party line. I thought it was going to be like a Zoom call. So I like had my like ring light up and I like had my makeup all done and I was like ready to like... I thought, I I don't know. I thought I imagined it way differently. And then it was just like your phone and your face and it's like being on the phone. I was like, oh, I felt very (laughs) dumb. It's like, oh, I'm sitting here with my tripod up and like. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. That's a bummer. Cause I mean, that's what I kind of love about Clubhouse is you don't have to do your makeup or anything. You can just talk. That was, but what was weird about it too, though, is that you couldn't see everybody. So like the social cues of like knowing oh, someone isn't done talking yet. They're just pausing. So I'll wait to intervene. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's just like, if someone would just like took a breath before they continued their thoughts, somebody would pop in. I don't know. It, 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 it induced a bunch of anxiety. I don't know if I'll be back, but. <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, it's not for everyone. And I get what you're saying where it is kind of awkward or you're like, do I talk now? Do I wait? What do I do? I get it. Um, so Mental health check-in, since you've stepped into my virtual unlicensed therapy office. Um, I love it. (laughs) How are we feeling today? Oh, man. Uh, It's so funny you asked that. I just got done recording my solo podcast for this week, Crawl Space. I do a solo one, right? And then I have guests. And uh, I am so uncomfortable. And that was what most of the podcast was about today. Just, you know, when you're going through it. And like you're in it. Right. And you're like you're you're going to the next level. I call it like I'm in between levels Mm -hmm. and it's just like I'm learning to set boundaries. And I've just set bound a boundary with a friend who was not happy about it. And so I'm just I'm like so uncomfortable right now just because like I, you know, like, you know, when I'm learning in my mental health journey, 
I'm in recovery too. So like, that's where, where when I feel like I'm on fire, I don't have to set my house on fire too. You know what I mean? I can just sit with the feelings. And so today, and that's, that's the gift, right? The gift is that I like, I'm, I'm able to know that there's, there's growth on the other side of this. And this is just part of the growing process, but I'm, I'm like crawling out of my skin. I'm so uncomfortable right now because I'm doing new behavior. So it's, it's, it's awesome. And, but it's like really scary. It is. Yeah. You know, I, this, I, I read this article recently and I promise this relates exactly to what you're saying. Uh, and I heard this quote called no is a complete sentence. Yes. And yes. Uh, it was from a surprising source, the Olsen twins. Oh God. Uh, well, so good for I them. I was, well, I was reading an article about how Elizabeth Olsen does not have any social media. She, oh. she just like completely quit. I forget when, but maybe last year. Uh, and has not come back, does not want to go back. And she was saying that her sisters gave her this advice of like setting boundaries and being like, yeah, no is a complete sentence. People don't need to follow up with a million questions or try to get you to change your mind. Like, it's okay. And whatever this friend was doing that was not working for you, you know, if it's not working, it's not working. And that, and that's the thing, like, I look at my part when stuff like my part is that I would set a boundary and then I would like, she'd cross the line and I'd be like, okay, well, the line is here now. And then she'd cross it again. And I'd be like, all right, well, it's back here now. And then, mm-hmm. and then it got to the point where she crossed a tiny ba- boundary and I flipped out and I was just like, I can't be your friend for a while. Like we just gotta, but I was like, you're having an overreaction to a tiny. And I was like, it wasn't though. It was a bunch of them. And then, and then she sent me this long message and I almost responded and someone said the same thing. They're like, you already explained, you don't, you already said, no, there's no other, there's nothing else you have to do. So I was just like, oh, so I just leave it. And they were like, yeah. And I'm a people pleaser. Yeah. It feels really shitty. And I, I relate to that. I mean, I've had a few like friend breakups in my life and I find that they can feel more painful than a romantic breakup because like with a friend you just don't expect it to end whereas like when you're dating you're like oh well maybe the eventually this won't work out but with friends you're just like okay yeah we're buddies yeah uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> but that's the healthy thing though right like i yeah. the last year with everything that's happened uh i've there's just some people that i'm just like i'm going in another direction yeah. And there and there doesn't have to be like a big fallout either. What I've learned, there doesn't need to be some grandstand like, you know, declaration of like, we're not friends anymore. And these are the reasons why you can just sort of be like, oh, I wish you well. And we're just sort of go our own ways. But it is like it is more painful and it is more uncomfortable. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. Just because there's not like a clearly delineated moment sometimes. Sometimes there is that like slow fade. <laughs> Yeah. And then you have to be like, I'm busy. But then you're like, is that honest? But you're like the other. What I used to do is write like a long email and explain every little thing why I don't want to be your friend anymore. Oh, oh yeah. No. This is this is many. I call it levels, right? Like I'm a video game. I don't know why. Right. I've, it's a new thing I've just started doing for some reason. But like many levels ago, it was like I need to and I would get blocked and then there's a drama and then I'd run into the person. and It'd be awkward. Now mm-hmm. I'm like, you don't have to do all of that. You can just no. cheer on that person from afar and go focus on your own shit. Uh, can I swear on this? I never, I always forget to ask that before. Absolutely. Okay, you can say whatever weird, explicit stuff you want to say on here. Oh, good. Good, good. Okay, <laughs> we're, cool. We're, uh, we're rated for 
I don't know, whatever it is, adults, like explicit. I think you actually know this podcast is rated explicit. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Mine too. <laughs> I was like, oh, there's no way I'm not going to say fuck in my which, podcast. So, well, which is funny because you think about like, oh, God, back in the day when they had CDs uh-huh. and it would be rated explicit, you'd be like, ooh, this is going to be some nasty stuff. And it was versus... just like, they said fuck a couple of times, <laughs> something like that. And it's like, oh, I grew up around really crazy people. They, they said way worse stuff than any rap album could have said yeah yeah <laughs> for sure um i really enjoy listening to your podcast crawl space i was listening to your solo episode from last week and a few other ones and oh, thank you. i just think it's it's great how you're just so vulnerable and just like let it all hang out you know yeah I, I, a lot of people are not brave enough to just um to be open and honest you know and I, I really appreciate that, especially like when you're talking about your daddy's daddy issue stuff. Like I can definitely relate to that. I also had um, weird dad stuff and my bio dad passed away when I was young. So oh. I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, thank you. I think the last week episode, I cried a lot on it. So, <laughs> I remember the first time I cried on Crawl Space, like because when it started, I didn't think of it as like I thought I was just going to like ramble in my closet and then as I was growing in my outside world, I'm in my closet right now, this is where I record. And as I was growing in my outside world, I was, you know, forming stuff in here. And I, the first time I cried and opened up about my dad abusing me, I was like, oh, is that what this is going to be? But then the outpour of like messages from strangers about just like, thank you for your honesty. I thought I was alone. Oh my God, I heard this thing. And I thought, I was the only one that ever experienced that. And I just, I, I don't know, that's kind of what I want to do with my career. So I'm glad it's coming out with that, that I think it's important to talk about this stuff because the stigma makes people, it perpetuates it and it makes people feel alone, which perpetu- it isolates us. I don't know. So I appreciate that you, you got that, the crying too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, well, it's in the title of my podcast, so. I, I'm yeah. all about crying. <laughs> I think it's good. But yeah, it, it's like, I because I've been to Al-Anon a few times. I've gone to a few meetings. I haven't gotten too serious about it. I know that you're in the, you're doing the ACA program. Yeah. I would love to know more about that. How long have you been doing that? And um, oh. how has it helped you? Well, I came through Al-Anon, actually. Um, okay. So I came through Al-Anon. I grew up, my parents are alcoholics, and probably uh, most of the people who raised me were. <laughs> um, okay. And so when I when I first moved to L.A., I was told to go to Al-Anon. And, there was, and Al-Anon was great. I was in Al-Anon for like 11 years, I'm going to say. I worked the steps. I had sponsors. And and, it, and, I, and I, I talked, like I dismissed Al-Anon when I first went into ACA because I was just like, oh, like, because it just never quite fit. But it saved my life. It really, it really did. And it helped me set, like, I have really strong boundaries. And I never thought, like, equated that to Al-Anon. So I always want to say nothing but good things about Al-Anon. But I had heard about ACA and... And they, they were talking, a guy was talking about inner child in one, one meet, one Al-Anon meeting I was in and he was going on and about your inner child and how he learned it in ACA. And so I went up to him and I was like, what is ACA? I know it's adult children of alcoholics and it's adult children of alcoholics and dysfunction because I, I have a lot of people that I know that didn't grow up in, in addiction, but they grew up in major dysfunction. So they felt like they were, they were, you know, not, they didn't deserve a membership in this program. Right. Like they didn't have addiction around, but their dad definitely did this thing to, you know what I mean? So like they add and dysfunction and this guy explained it really well. Like Al-Anon is for dealing with your issues and the world. So like navigating your shit with the world in a healthy way, 
ACA goes and digs deep, finds that wound that makes you react the way you do to the world and heals it. And it's beautiful and horrible and hard and scary. And I'm in the place right now, I'm in the step nine where I am making amends to whoever I can possible. So I'm in the part, I have a sponsor. And um, and in this program, you have sponsors or you have fellow travelers because it's 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 not an easy program and people drop out a lot. And my sponsor in this program now is just like, you're like, and I'm so uncomfortable, as I mentioned, and she was just like, you're in it. And you're at the part right now where a lot of people turn around and they leave because it's easier for them to carry whatever they're carrying the rest of their lives than like turn around and face it. And so, and it's, it's really dysfunctional. It's really like it, I've made some of the most beautiful friendships I've ever made. And it's also like I'm learning like discernment of like, you know, like, oh, this person's not safe or healthy, even though they're in this 12 step program. I can't be friends with them. You know what I mean? And like and it's and so I've been in it. I will be celebrating my third birthday in June. Yay! And yeah, it's it's um, and I won't leave. I know like she was like, this is where people quit. And I was like, well, you're stuck with me because like. <laughs> I, 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 I tried it the other way. You know what I mean? I tried living my life the other way and I, it, and it didn't work and I was painfully unhappy. I wanted to kill myself for many years and now I'm in this. And though it's painful, I also have faith that on the other side of it, it's going to be beautiful because that's what's been happening so far. So I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> wow. That's, that's incredible. It sounds like it's almost like therapy because they're getting in there and uncovering all these deep childhood or, you know, young adult uh, traumas and having you really face them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they they recommend I'm looking for a therapist now because I'm about to uncover, I think, memories that I I don't remember a big chunk of my childhood because I had a, I had a really dicey one. And uh so they rec they're like, yeah, get a therapist too and work both, but make sure you get a therapist that knows about 12 steps because the 12 step recovery, because I think if you're in any recovery program and you have a therapist that's not pro recovery, you're, that's not a good match because you're working two things that should be partnership instead of like, um, opposite opinion, whatever, but yeah, that's a good tip. Whenever people, cause ever since like doing this podcast, a lot of people come to me like for tips about like. I want to find a therapist. Like, who's a good therapist? It's like, well, every single person has different needs. Yeah. And so when you're searching, um, whether that's like better help or psychology today or whatever, they actually have little search terms like where you can filter it and say, oh, I want someone who does um, cognitive behavioral therapy or I want someone who knows about the 12 steps or you know, yeah. whatever it is, uh, so. incest, uh, alcohol abuse. Like, yeah, there's, I mean, there's sadly, there's like a big, you know, a list of stuff that a therapist should, you should have a good fit with. I had, I've had many therapists and I, I'm, as I said, I'm a people pleaser. I'm recovering from that. I'm getting better at it. I'm setting boundaries, but I'm a people pleaser. And I would find with these therapists that they would get to a certain point and they weren't helping me because I hadn't, you know, looked at a specific search for what I needed and so I felt bad. So I would start lying that I was doing fine. No. And then I would ghost that I would just like, I've ghosted almost every therapist I've ever had where it was just like, well, this isn't panning out or they like <laughs> touched something deep. And I was like, ah, I can't go back to that. You know what? And now I think I'm like, I'm aligned enough. I know exactly who I am, what I want that now I think it's time that I can enter into a therapy situation and be able to let it all hang out and be like, yo, I'm still not fine. You know? Right. No, because that is it's difficult because it's one thing to like 
do it on your on a podcast or whatever, but to do it in front of a therapist who is then going to continue like opening up that wound, you know, that's that's a whole different situation. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I <laughs> I can't believe that you were lying to therapists and telling them that you were fine. That's I mean really funny. <laughs> and the thing is, is like I would tell them, like, I always pick therapists who had no poker face either, right? And I have friends that go to therapy and they're like, Oh, I really need my therapist to like be like shocked and horrified by my childhood. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't want that. Like I had a shocked and horrified childhood. I know that. Like I've, it took me years to admit that like, cause I was always like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Like my parents right. didn't like kill me. So I'm cool. But now I'm like, no, <laughs> dude, it was bad. And so like I, every time I tell my therapist, like a little thing that happened, they would be like, oh my, what? I'm like, and so I was like, yeah. So I would get therapists like that where I was like, your dad did what? And I'm like, oh God, I don't feel cool. And then I had a therapist once who would have me like, draw it out and I was like this doesn't help me I just feel self-conscious and odd they made you make a drawing of the abuse that happened to you she wanted me to just sit there and draw whatever came to my mind so I just sort of drew a flower while I talked to her and then we talked about how beautiful the she actually I think was probably a pretty good therapist because she was before when I was like just touching on and for listeners if you don't know my father this I shouldn't sound so excited when I say this, but I was already up no, in that table. <laughs> my, yeah, <laughs> my dad sexually abused me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so for listeners, that's what. And but at the time I wasn't I had I had denied my way out of it. I had I had buried a lot, all the memories. Right. Like I knew something had happened between me and my father. And I knew that everyone in my life that knew him thought he was the best person alive, right? Everybody, like he was like the second coming to everybody I knew. All I knew is that the man made my skin crawl. And I went to this therapist and I might, one of my, the first Al-Anon meeting that, God, I've never, I don't know if I've ever shared this on my podcast, but here we are. My first (laughs) Al-Anon meeting that I ever talked about what happened to me with my dad, the very little that I remembered, right? I was sitting in this all women's meeting in a house. So some broad's house and it's all women and it, we're in a living room. There's candles, you know, all that shit. And everyone shared. And if you've ever been to a meeting and everyone shares and there's time left and you're the only one that hasn't shared, it's so uncomfortable. Like you have to. Yeah. You're like, well, I guess I have to share. And I was so new that I was just like, and, but I had just admitted this tiny thing. Right. And it's not tiny, but it is compared to all the other stuff I've uncovered since. But sure. And I raised my hand and I was just like, I showered with my dad until I was 12. And then I just sat there. I know your eyes. I know. But at the time I was like, I mean, nothing happened in there. Stuff happened in there. I blocked it out. But I, I, I held on to my poker face until that moment. Listeners, yeah. I really tried. She really did. And and then- oh, by the way, her poker face was still really good. Her eyes just got a little bigger. That's it. <laughs> like, but I'm good at I, I, I pick up that stuff because I'm hypervigilant because I had a sketchy child. Yeah, but I but just so you know, no judgment from my side over here at oh, all. No. And like, I think that you've obviously like come through this to be like a beautiful and strong person who can like be really like a good example for other people who have been through it. So thank you. And that's I mean, and that's why I I talk about it so much, because it took me years. So in that room, I said just that. And then I cried for the remainder of my two minutes, like just cried in silent while everybody watched. And then one woman gave me her number and then I never went back. Right. Like, so it was like, oh, that was too much. Never went back. And then so I told this therapist that. And so then she started asking questions about what happened in the shower. How do you feel about that? How did you feel about your dad? You know, like a really hard questions to answer. And then 
And but she was the first person who said, because I was just like, it wasn't that bad. Like we just showered. We <laughs> which I know is like, no, you do, what? But you didn't know because it was kind of like you had been normalized to this behavior. Normalized to this behavior. And it, it's interesting with abuse, too, because normalized to this behavior, but also knew unspokenly that I should not talk about it to anybody. Right. And he never sat me down and was like, yo, this is just our time. Like there was never anything like that. But it was like, I knew that there should be something I should be ashamed of. Mm. And this woman told me she was like, the first person who said this to me was just like, well, that like validated the abuse and just said, just so you know, if your father and he was alive at the time, if your father was living in California and I knew he was with children, I would legally be obligated to call someone. And that's so small, but it was just like, and it just allowed me to be like, oh, it was really that bad. Okay. And, and then it took, and then it took, honestly, it took another five years to like get to, and it took him dying and it took us making an amends. And like, I hadn't, I, you know, I cut him out of my life after that. And then he passed away and we were able to have this weird moment at the end, but it took me all of that to realize that it wasn't my shame Mm -hmm. and like, it wasn't mine and it was his. and. I'm going to get emotional. Um, That's okay. And, and the reason why I get emotional is because like, I, I feel for that girl and I'm so proud of how far I've come, but I feel for the people that I know that it is, it is shameful. I get the shame that you feel that you, that maybe it was your fault or like, maybe it wasn't that bad or like, maybe you're crazy. Maybe you made it up or like, like all kinds of, and, and so I talk about it so openly because like, I don't know. I got on the other side and I know I, I laughed when I said it, but that was just because we were laughing before, but it, it is, it's, it, it took a long time and a lot of work, but I'm grateful for that. And so if you're listening and you're going through that, I, I, there's another side and there's so much help too, you know, there's so much different help besides recovery. It's not for everybody, but therapy, you know, now I'm just rambling. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm, I, I'm just listening. I mean, I'm really uh, amazed by that because I think there are a lot of different ways for people to be able to process that trauma. And maybe, maybe the group setting isn't for everyone. Like you said, it can be kind of intimidating at first, but um, if you find the right kind of group, it seems like that's a good way to go. Oh my God. Um, When I walked into ACA, I walked in two and a half years or almost three years ago now. And it was like, like Alan on, I like tiptoed in left for a couple of years, would go back, work the steps, then leave. You know, like I like, it was always one foot out the door. And in fact, like sure. I went to this meeting every week for like a year, but I would go early or I'd go late and I'd leave early. And the only reason why I stayed one time is because this guy was walking in with me and he was like, Hey, you always leave early. You should stay after the meeting and I'll introduce you to people. And that whole meeting, I was just like, I have to stay. Cause I knew I was getting a little bit of relief and I thought that if I left, I could never come back. So I was like, so like my people pleasing forced me, but I was always one foot out the door. And then the second I found ACA, it was just like, oh, these are my people. Cause there's just like, mm-hmm. we're just like, it's, there's like an image of a bunch of inner children sitting in a room after we just experienced a massive house fire that we all survived. And it's just like this room full of like damaged people, but that are just willing to do the work to get on the other side. But yeah, but the group, uh, yeah, it's, it's in recovery. Like I have a cousin who is an addict, he's recovering, but a lot of our family tried Al-Anon and they were like, no, it's not for me. And it's because there is like a God tone to it. 
And if you can't get past that or you you see it, you know what I mean? Like there's just so many different facets of the the 12 step recovery movement. That- yeah, no, there there is that. I mean, because um the the way that I got into do, going to a few Al-Anon meetings is that my mom is like really big on going there. And um so I went along with her and I was initially super turned off by all of the like God spiritual stuff because I was just like, oh, this feels very Christian, you know, like I'm not like I'm Jewish. But um, then during COVID, I've gone to some meetings over Zoom uh, that are based in L.A. And uh, that's felt good because you can turn your camera off if you want. And like you can kind of just listen. And every meeting has its own different personality. And there's a a few that I went to that weren't as heavy handed with all the God stuff. So I was like, oh, okay, like you can kind of do it however you want to do it, you know, so. And that's, I mean, when I went into Al-Anon, I was atheist agnostic. And then I got to step two and was like. Well, what am I supposed to step two is where you uh, came to believe in a power greater than yourself. Sure. And uh, I was like, what what do I do? And now I'm fine with the word God. You can use whatever you want, you know, because I I see it as a spiritual higher power universe nature. And but if you're walking in the first time and you're like super atheist and they and they we pray a ton in there, I'd be freaked out, too. You know, it'd be like, oh, this isn't for me. But once you can get pat, like like you said, not all of them are full of that. And then there's people that would share that would be like, oh, I'm still an atheist and I worked the steps. Like, it's just like, I can't, you can, I'll let you. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do this alone. So like my uh, guy I'm seeing, his, he's in uh, his higher power. And I've heard this a lot is the consciousness of the group, right? The high, that, that, mm. so like it's, but God gets thrown around quite a bit in there. Yeah, so I can no, see how it freaks I mean, people I don't out. I there's anything bad about that, but um yeah. And how do you think, I mean, I, I have to assume that like this happens with a lot of people who get into comedy. Do you think that like having a crazy childhood is what pushed you into comedy or like, were you always just kind of a funny person by nature? Maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I think it's like, okay, this is, I'm going to try and articulate this because it's like the chicken, the egg thing, right? Yeah, like, yeah, which yeah. came first. Cause it's like, <laughs> I think I had to be funny to endure what I went through. Like I had to make that stuff funny in order to be okay. But Mm. my, my parents with all their faults and all their stuff, they're very, they were very, I I mean, I heard my dad was a really funny person in hindsight. I'm like that guy, but that guy didn't treat me like a buddy, right? He never talked to me in a funny way. I never found him funny, but people are always like, your dad's hilarious, but my mom's hilarious. And so like, I think it's, it's funny. Cause I'm like, did I get into comedy because I'm funny or because I had trauma? You know what I mean? Or did I get funny? Was, I, I don't know. So chicken egg kind of thing, I guess if that makes sense. We, yeah. We'll, we will never know. We'll never know. But yeah. And then also <laughs> I think I got into comedy too. Cause it was just like, love me, love me. Mom and dad didn't love me. I just want any outside source to love me. Cause I'm filling this hole. And now that's shifted. And now, truthfully, I'm trying to find out where I belong in my comedy because now I don't have that hole anymore that I like need you to laugh in order for me to feel whole. So that's been a right. Weird... So you're coming at it from a completely different angle. Yeah, it's a weird transition. I don't know where to go from here, but I'm excited to see what happens, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I can I can definitely relate to that um, because I think there was a part of me when I was younger because I had a... Um, my biological dad, uh, he was not part of my life. Like I didn't know him. I haven't seen him since I was three years old. And I got into doing like commercials and TV in high school. And I remember thinking back then, like, oh, 
maybe if he sees me on TV or if he like sees that I'm doing a movie, then he'll like love me and want to have a relationship with me, which like what a fucked up thing to think. <laughs> but what a normal like what a like fucked up, but like so yeah, of course that's how you'd feel. Like <laughs> if I succeed enough, maybe he'll love me. Maybe he'll want like that's like and I don't mean to like dismiss like but it's just like, yeah, I like feel for that little girl so much because it's just like, yeah, you're like, if I just do this one thing, maybe he'll want to be my dad. And that's just there's like just such a heartbreaking but real statement and then once you get the thing and he doesn't want to be your dad you're like wait a minute okay well maybe if i do that and like i'm talking from my own experience but like yeah and then you find out that it's a hole that you gotta fill basically yeah i mean i he passed away when i was uh 18 so like oh um that was uh not to bring this down but you know i mean i guess this is just like a you know it's a moody it's a moody moment yeah uh, on our pod um but yeah it was like i didn't get the chance so then it then i had to do a lot of work in therapy for several years just to kind of untie like the idea of having guilt around his death um because he died from alcoholism you know but he was alone and that was a as you know it's a disease mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that anyone else can take the blame for, except for, you know, I mean, the, the person has to want to change. Yeah. And if he doesn't want to change, that's just kind of what, and also he was, sorry, I'm like not even making complete sentences. No. Um, he, uh, like he was the adult and I was the child. So for me to feel guilty for not having a relationship with him is kind of incorrect. Yeah. In my opinion. No, and you're a hundred percent right. But it that's something you take. I think in, in my experience, that's something you take on when you grow up in alcoholism. Even if you don't, even as you said, you didn't have a relationship with the guy, but there's still alcoholism touches every facet of that person's life. Like, like be, when alcoholism was deemed a, um, I've done a ton of reading and gone to a bunch of AA meetings because that's part of Al-Anon is you're supposed to just learn a shit ton about alcoholism. And but like when they made um, alcohol, alcoholism, the medical heart. Whatever. In the DSM? Yeah. When they, yeah, thank you. I'm like something uh, medical jargon uh, deemed it an actual disease for like 50, 70 years. They didn't think about all the people around them. It was just like, oh, they'll, the children will be fine. You just need to get sober, like in AA. And that's when like sure. Al-Anon and, well, ACA came about in the 70s. And that's when it was like, yo, the kids are like really affected by this. And like when AA happened, it was just like, oh, well, the kids will be fine. They're kids, they're moldable, they'll grow up. But then they found out that like, no, it's a family disease. And even if you're not around that alcoholic, that alcoholic still has touched everything. It's just. Well, because the choices that they make, right? Yeah. You know, and the way that they lead their lives. And um, I think that like, that was a huge reason why they, my parents, um, you know, divorced. And I'm lucky because my mom did remarry a man who like stepped in and who we called dad and like oh. um, all of that. But at the same time, you know, we were always aware of that. And it's a thing that um, does stick with you. Um, so and then even like once you get older, wondering like, oh, am I an alcoholic too? Like, should I be scared about trying to have like a drink at this college party? You know, like, is this going to be? a problem for me. So it's definitely a lot of different things to unravel for the children of alcoholics. So much to unravel. And then the guilt you feel if you do get drunk the next day, you're like, 
and I'm friends with a lot of alcoholics now, a lot of like reco- in recovery, sober mm-hmm. alcoholics. And I, I went, I used to get dinner with this guy all the time. We were, we were really close and I would get a drink, a glass of wine. And finally he goes, it makes me so mad to watch you drink. <laughs> I was <gasps> like, why? He goes, cause we're sitting there at dinner for like two hours and you have a glass and a half of wine and you're just like sipping it. And he's like, I'm like pounded. I would have had eight beers by now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not an alcoholic. And he'd be like, how? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't take a drink and blow up my life. But, <laughs> but that's like, and my mom, I remember a long time ago, we were uh, got 15 years ago, maybe longer ago. doesn't matter. We were at dinner and I was in Denver it's snowing and I got a glass of wine and then I didn't finish it. And she goes, you, you're not going to get drink the rest of that. And I was like, no. And she's like, well, why not? Cause she's an alcoholic. Right. And I was like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't want any more. It's snowing and I'm driving you and my two-year-old little brother home. I just like, yeah, but, to, but she's an alcoholic. So her brain is like, Right. Like, we'll just finish it. Like, why don't you just pound it? It'll be fine. And that woman has nine DUIs. So there's there's that. Okay. Well, yeah. So yeah. that that's how you get to nine. Yeah, that's how. <laughs> and the laws have changed since she, you know, upped her, 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 a lot of jail time for that broad. A lot of jail time for nine DUIs. I think it's nine. I'm unclear. I kind of lost track. But like, okay, the law, she got a lot of them in the 80s and 90s. So the laws weren't as like, yo, you can't drive anymore. Like, to me, I'm like, why do they? I, I honestly, truthfully, I don't have a relationship her, with her. We have we've been estranged for uh, uh, several years. She's on and off the wagon and in and out of jail and all that stuff. So I truthfully don't know where she's at in her life right now. So maybe she's doing well. And I hope so. But um, to me, I'm like, I feel like when she hit a certain number, they should just be like, you don't get a driver's license anymore. Yeah, you would think you would think. Yeah. But like you said, it happened a long time ago. So maybe not. Yeah. Hey, sonnies. Chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are looking to better yourself, right? You might be thinking, maybe it's time for me to go get a therapist. But then you start thinking about all of the steps involved in finding a therapist. Do you have health insurance? Do you not have health insurance? Does it, your insurance even cover it? Even after that, are you going to find someone that you like? You have to spend hours and hours pouring through all these different websites, reading the different therapists' bios, calling them only to find out they're not accepting new patients, even though it said they were on the website. What the heck, right? I don't want you to deal with any of this. So that's why I am happy to say Crying Behind Sunglasses is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is BetterHelp? Oh, well, I'm just so happy to tell you it is my favorite resource for online counseling. It's confidential, private, and convenient. You're able to tap into the world's largest network of licensed accredited and experienced counselors who can help you with a whole range of issues, whatever you're going through, if that's depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief. Honestly, there is nothing these people cannot handle. If you go to betterhelp.com, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash cryingbehindpod, you can get 10% off your first month. And I just can't recommend them enough. I love the way that they are doing things. You can Talk to your counselor any way you want, whether that's messaging, video chat, phone calls. I mean, you can't do all of that with a regular therapist. And also they will match you after giving you a customized quiz so that therapist will actually be suited to your needs. And even if you don't like them, you can change your therapist at any time with 
no extra charge. So like I said, go get some help. Betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod and you'll get 10% off. I have a family of 12 baby ducks oh, <laughs> that yeah, are living yeah. in my backyard and the mom is also here. Uh, I was just thinking about it because my fiance and I keep joking around that the mom is kind of like not the best mom because <laughs> she just like she leaves a, several times a day. I don't know what she's going out to do. Yeah, what does a duck do during the day? The duck business? <laughs> like where is the duck going? Does it does she come back with stuff? You know what I mean? Like does she, like a run? No, she just comes back. I mean, I, I listen. Maybe I need to study more about duck science. I don't know if or she's like follower. eating work. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I put a tracker on her. Yeah. I don't know if she's like eating worms and then vomiting them back up to the babies. I don't know if that's a thing that ducks do. Oh. I do know that the duck daddy, mm-hmm. when she comes back, he flies with her and she lands and he leaps. So he's never here, but he like flies over to like drop her off. So maybe she goes to hang out with him somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Wait a minute. So you know it's the duck dad. Because he's, well, okay, I'm assuming he is a boy duck because he has, with mallards, the, 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 women, female, females. Yeah. (laughs) The the female mallard duck is all brown and the male has like a really pretty green neck and head. So that's how you can tell. So I'm assuming he's the duck daddy, but it could be that maybe it's just her boyfriend. I don't know. (laughs) And he doesn't want anything to do with the ducks or do they have ducklings? Ducklings. Yeah. Oh my God. No. I feel like, see, I pictured you were like tracker on the duck. This is where my dysfunction comes in. I'm like, no sunglasses and newspaper, like follow her around like the wire. Like <laughs> she flies though. Yeah. When she said that, I was like, that sort of puts a damper on my plan. Maybe a tracker <laughs> or do research to find out. Yeah. Is that because like, you know, it's funny you're saying the duck and I know exactly what ducks you're talking about because I grew up in Colorado around a lot of those yeah, ducks. Yeah. And I just remembered I was told as a kid that the the female ducks were ugly and the male ducks were beautiful because males were better than females. I wow. OK, because they were better. I didn't hear the better part. I heard when I was a kid, they were like, oh, the male ducks and the male peacocks get to have all the pretty feathers because they're trying to attract a mate. Oh, that's still also kind of dis- dysfunctional, right? It is, but I'm. It's it, at least it's not putting the female ducks like down and calling them ugly. Yeah, I think. I mean, like, I don't know if it was like <laughs> another child, but I remember sitting at my like grandpa, my grandma's like lake place, and we're a lake place pond. I don't know, and watching the ducks, and someone was like, "Oh yeah, the boys are always better looking than the girls," and then someone was like, "Yeah, because boys are better than girls," and I was like, "Wow!" And I grew up in a very misogynistic home, so I grew up thinking that too, and now unraveling that part of my brain of like, no, that is not real i mean that happened a decade ago but like it's still there's still that sexist voice in my head i'm like oh you pop up sometimes but i grew up in a misogynistic home that like yeah so hearing the duck thing i totally forgot about that until you just said that that's so wild yeah yeah so today the latest adventure was that uh i had to push back our recording a few minutes because uh the 12 baby ducks like went under the fence to my neighbor's yard (laughs) And they, ju- and they, you said they jumped in the pool or they were going to, and you were like, and they'll drown if you don't, I watch all your stories now. So I know like more about ducks than I ever have, but <laughs> so basically like if they could survive in my neighbor's yard, I would not care. Like I would be sad cause I would miss them, but I would let them go. Yeah. But the problem is with most swimming pools, baby ducklings cannot jump out on their own. They're not big enough. 
So you have to put a ramp. And also with the pool filter, you have to block it because if they get sucked into the pool filter, they'll die. So Jesus, it's kind of like if left under unattended, they could either drown because they can't get out or die in the pool filter. So I had to go over there and me and my fiance literally were like with a pool skimmer scooping the babies out, putting them in a box. Was your neighbor home? Did you knock on the <laughs> yeah. door? To, oh, okay. I was like, yeah. I'd love it if they they didn't know and they came home and you guys are just fishing in there. <laughs> like, it's fine. No, no, no. I would not have broken into their yard. Luckily, uh, they have kids who are still doing um, school on Zoom and we're like friendly with the family. So we just knocked on the door and we had told them about the ducks. Like, so they know. And the kids were very excited. <laughs> How did you acquire these ducks? Did they just pop up in your yard one day? Yeah. No, no, no. They they literally were walking down our street. Okay. And um, our, um, I don't know how to explain this. I guess we have a long driveway. Mm -hmm. At the end of the driveway is a gate that goes directly into our yard. So Mama Duck, she can fly. She probably saw that we had a nice pool, walked up to our gate and was quacking and quacking and quacking. Was like, let me in. I got kids. Yeah. Can we hang out? And you guys were like, yeah, I don't see why not. But exactly. So we were like, do you want to come inside? So we opened the gate and they walked in and went right to swimming in the pool. Oh, I love animals so much. I love <laughs> and that. We're like, and we're like, okay, I guess we have ducks now. And uh, more than once we have left the gate open to see if they want to like leave, you know. Uh, but she walked to the end of the driveway and saw the cars driving by and walked back into our yard. So they, they've chosen us, I guess. I love that. I hope they stay <laughs> forever. And do you have you named them yet? Well, you can't really tell all the babies apart. Um, I do feel like the mom is very similar to like Lucille Bluth. You know, she's just like, like, she's nice to us, to our faces, but she really, she's like, I don't care for her, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all, oh, you should name all of them after all of the, I, I don't remember any of the kids' names on Arrested Development, right? There's Michael, there's George, there's, yeah, there's George, Michael, there's George, isn't there an, a, a young girl and then Portia? There's Tobias Funk. Uh, yeah, Portia was Lindsay. But she, she's, yeah, I feel like you should name them all after them. I think I maybe. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, my, my fiance named them after all of his coworkers, which we thought was pretty. Funny. Oh, that's cute. How many are there? 12, <laughs> 12 ducklings and, uh, the mama. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And honestly, it's been good for my anxiety because like, um, even though they kind of stress me out cause I'm trying to keep them alive and like feed them and make sure they don't die. I also like all of my extra thoughts during the day are no longer like any negative thoughts about myself. They're just thoughts about the ducks <laughs> that's a way to do it i guess get 12 ducks that you <laughs> and then then you won't have negative talk anymore that's a good there's just no room for it because do i don't have time to think about it <laughs> do you feed them or do they figure out their own thing so you brought food i did i mean i saw them pecking at the grass and stuff but i wasn't sure if we had enough so we went uh because i talked to a lot of wildlife people they wouldn't take the ducks from me because they said it's illegal to transport them otherwise i would have given them away by now um they're here until they learn how to fly and then they'll fly to somewhere, hopefully. Uh, oh, but yeah, God. we got. <laughs> That's going to be a rough day, dude. I have abandonment issues. So like... Yeah. No, it's going to be sad for us. But I mean, I also like, I don't want 12 full size ducks pooping and living in my yard. I mean, that's kind of gross. Too. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. 
I feel like if they stayed if they stayed small forever, I would want to keep them. But like you know, maybe they'll come back and visit too. Maybe it'll be a fun like you guys are a home base. So sometimes I don't know. Now I'm like now I'm off and running. Sorry. (laughs) No, I've heard this. I've heard that when they um when they nest in your yard, they might come back the next year when they're adults and nest with their babies. Oh, so we don't know. Oh, I hope so. But yeah, we got food for them. Um, we got chicken scratch and mealworms. Oh, that's really, it's a touching story. I can't wait until they grow. I can't wait to watch this whole story keep unfolding. It's, it's kind of my favorite new, I'm like, oh yeah, the ducks. And then I, you have cats that like watch them at the window, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have two orange cats that are very entertained. The only person who I haven't Insta-storied about this yet is my dog, Coconut, because she is very upset. She doesn't like that all of my attention is being paid to these ducks. And she also doesn't like that we're not letting her in the yard anymore. Oh, she can't go in the backyard anymore. Well, I mean, she could, but she would scare them. And so I'm just trying to like, what kind of dog is she? She's just a tiny little terrier mix. She's like eight pounds. Oh, yeah. She won't be cool, though. The little ones are never cool with other stuff. Big ones are always like, I'll tolerate this, I guess. But the little ones are (laughs) like, I I need to change this for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, literally. Like, I I, I brought her out once or twice on a leash. Mm -hmm. But whenever we go on walks, if she sees ducks or birds, she always chases them. So I'm just like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Let the ducks grow up. Let the ducks grow up. Coconut will be fine. She will. She has a front yard. I take her on walks, but she's still, we're not talking until after the ducks leave, I think. And that's, you know, that's her choice. Oh my God, I love that. My best friend had a baby. uh, I mean, the baby's like four now. And her dog, who this dog, this dog is, I love this dog. I'm like one of two humans that this dog enjoys. This dog is a tiny chihuahua named Macy, who's Mm -hmm. just... Like every time I've watched her and people are like, oh, I'm like, she's not friendly. Don't touch her. Like, she's just not a friendly dog. She I mean, I uh-huh. love her because we're we're pals. But so my best friend got pregnant and she was Macy was really close to her. And then Wixom Wixom's the boy, the boy's name, the baby's name. He was born. And this kid is four. And Macy has never made eye contact with him once. Like <laughs> He's like, she's weirdly protective of him, but she's never made eye contact. Like Katie, my best friend said for a long time, she was like, yeah, she, she wouldn't look at me for a while. Now she, now she's better because she understands that we still have our relationship. And then she had another baby and the same thing, like, cause like the babies smell like Katie. So she's a, like, she likes the baby, but she hates the baby, but will not look them in the eye. And when this, <laughs> this kid met my cat he was like scared a little bit and I was like oh my cat's really friendly you can pet him and he was like okay and I'm like oh I realize the only animal contact you have ever had is this dog who acts like actively hates you <laughs> so he thinks like every other animal so now he loves my cat because he's like Henry's friendly and I'm like no you just have a really mean dog that's really funny yeah I my, my dog is good with kids so I'm not I'm not too worried about that Uh, we'll see who knows maybe she won't like my kids (laughs) and it's and and she like she'll never do anything to wix up like she'll never like she'll like she weirdly protects them but doesn't like them like she like hate it's like 
I equated to Bernie Sanders. Like Bernie Sanders kind of hates all of us, but he knows he had like he loves us. Like he loves us. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, he's like, I yes. want the best for all of you, but I sort of have this disdain for human beings because you all just actively do what isn't in your best interest. So he's just like super grumpy all the time. Like he kind of hates the humans that he loves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, Randy, my partner, that's how he feels about the ducklings. He loves them and he wants to protect them, but he hates them and he thinks they're idiots. Yeah. Because <laughs> they keep doing things like, you know, escaping or like almost drowning or whatever. We keep having to run out there and he's like, oh my God, like I want to protect these ducks at all costs, but also like, I hate them. I hate them. Do better. <laughs> Do better. Be better. Um, okay. Before we get to the end of the episode, I need to bring this back. Uh, cause we've gone off the rails, but it's okay. I, I just needed to get these ducktails out there. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> um, I want to know, Kim Crawl, you have a bad day, whether that's like, um, I don't know, like when, when we were back in the wild and you were able to do stand up, you, you bomb on stage or, uh, you have a, a weird date or I don't know, so, whatever you define as a bad day. When you get home, what is something that you do for yourself, uh, to t- turn your mood around? Okay. I have this, this thing that I, I developed about a year ago, maybe not a year ago, like eight months ago. So I learned it in the pandemic. And I, so I haven't been able to do it in the real world because the real world, truthfully, I got a lot of my like self-help and work done in the year that we've been locked down. Right. Great. So I, yeah, I took it like, oh, this could either go South or I could make it matter. And thank God I made it matter. Right. So it's called, I do something called my happy list. So you write out a list of stuff that makes you happy, right? And not like not codependent, because I know people who've done it and they're like, do codependent stuff, like like making others feel good. And like, yeah, although that is a good thing to do for boosting your self-esteem, but like a little thing. So I make, I made a a list of 20 things, whether it's like uh, sitting outside on my porch and drinking some tea while reading a book, baking cookies. Like, and I do this happy list that every time I feel shitty or have a bad day, I just go to the list and I'm like, okay. And I randomly pick one, whether if it's like paint my nails, do something with my inner child, like color in a coloring book, you know, like, so I have a list of 20 things and now it's like, it's a, it's a habit. So that's like my tip for anything is like, when you feel good, do the, do self-care that way, when you feel bad, it's a habit. And like you show up for yourself because it's already a habit. That's so smart. You're so brilliant. Like having a list, (laughs) you know, um, that's, that's really great because I think when you're panicking and you're in that moment, uh, or even not, if you're not panicking, if you're just sad, whatever, you don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you're not going to want to make that list. You're not going to want to have to brainstorm nothing sounds like it's going to help. Yeah, nothing does. But if you go to that list and I promise you the first like couple of times you're going to be like, this is stupid. I'm not fucking doing this. All right, I'll do some yoga. I guess that'll help. And then after you do it, you're like, happy list wins again. And then eventually it becomes just a habit to do that self-care without even the list, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I think like also you're able to prove it to yourself. Yeah. Like it sounds like because you it's almost like a science experiment where you're like, okay, well, I know that when I did this, it made me feel this way. So I'm going to try doing that again. Yeah, exactly. And then it's and then I like a good art project, too. I'm a big inner child person. I hate that I am. I 
<laughs> Why do you hate it? Because when I first walked into rooms and they were talking about inner child, I was like, yeah, my inner kid. I'm going to hang out with my inner kid just using air quotes here and there, just like completely like just judging the fuck out of everyone who talked about their inner child relationship. Right. And now I'm like, I made my happy list really pretty and me and my inner child like colored it and now it's all decorated and it's hung up somewhere. So like now I'm like team inner child because I think that's the key to like healing old trauma. But I used to I find that the stuff that you're most like, uh, what is it like, don't want to do most like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing it is the stuff that's going to help you the most. So make a happy list. Yeah, that makes sense. If I wanted to get into doing this, like inner child work what is the best gateway into that the the best gateway into it actually and this is really like don't get to know your inner child before you develop an inner loving parent Mm. so like learn like that's the key to like the the ACA program basically is about reparenting yourself and giving you parenting that you didn't receive as a child and and if you get to know your inner kid as what we call your critical parent or whatever that critical voice is that tell whatever you want to call it, right? The sensor, the critical parent, every, I feel like everything has the same thing, but they all have different names. That's what I think about religion too. You know what I like? It's all the same, but we call it the critical parent. And if you meet your inner child, when you have, when you only have a critical voice, you're going to further trauma, traumatize your inner child. So it's like the, the key is, is to develop a loving parent. So doing happy list stuff is a loving parent thing to do. Like when I'm feeling sad, old Kim would be like, oh, let's go get bombed with a bunch of people. I don't really like just because I want them to like me and I'll get drunk and I'll feel better for the moment, but then I'll feel shitty for the next couple. You know what I mean? But that's like bad parenting. But now when I feel bad, it's like, all right, let's talk about what we can do. So developing an inner parent, a loving parent, an inner loving parent is key before you meet your inner child. And then inner child stuff, there's so many meditations and it's just talking to that part of you that didn't get to be heard when you were a little kid. So mm. like, you know, that I, I can give so many examples, but just like sitting down and listening and just getting really quiet. But you've got to develop that self-love first before you meet the kid. Otherwise, you'll put it on the kid. Which makes me sound like I have 18 personalities, but maybe I do. I don't know. Well, I, I think it's healthy to tap into these different parts of ourselves because we all have we have the masculine and the feminine inside of us. We have, uh, we've all been every age up until whatever age we are. We have those memories inside of us. So I don't think it's that weird. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, <laughs> like, there's a different, like, there's a difference between that and dissociative identity disorder, which is like, yes. oh, these these identities are literally taking over my life. But it sounds like this is a conscious choice of really um reflecting back on what you need yeah let me let me give an example real quick so yeah. i i have a cat who has um medical stuff right medical uh he has to go to the vet a lot and it's really scary and i realized this last time he went to the vet i would get this crazy anxiety before like days before i mean like like debilitating like not like not a rational person's anxiety for the vet right mm -hmm. and so i was like all right let me look at that because there's so, if it's hysterical, it's historical, right? Like if it's like blown out of proportion, there's something back here that I'm reacting to in, to in this situation, right? And so it was like, oh, it's a little kid that's scared. It's my little kid that's scared that if I take Henry to the vet, he could die there and then I lose my best friend. 
And as a kid, I had a sick dog and it was just, there was never any, it was just like, grow up. The dog's going to the vet, calm down. Like there was never any like, hey, yeah, that is really scary. Like, but we're going to, I'm an adult. I'm going to take care. And so that I, I got really quiet. I heard the, I realized that it was my, my inner child that was terrified of taking my cat to the vet because I was never taken care of. Like there was never an adult in my life that was just like, oh, we're going to, I just was never safe. Right. And so I was able to just like quietly say to myself, that is really scary. Like validate it. Like that is really scary. Henry is sick and it is really scary. And I know past means, you know, what happened in the past would equal Henry not being safe because the adults in your life wouldn't have cared about this animal. But I'm I'm here and I love this animal and I am going to be there the whole way. And it was wild. The like the anxiety just went away. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm an adult now. And I got this. And in her kid, don't worry about it. I I would die for this animal. So we the animal's gonna come home no matter what. You know what? So that I know that's a very simple example. But no, that's a great example. I think that's really awesome. Um, that's something that everybody can relate to. I know that I last time I had to, or sorry, the first time I had to take coconut to the vet to actually be put under for anything, I was like you said, hysterical, beside myself. Couldn't handle it. Couldn't accept that like these are medical professionals who do this every day and know what they're doing. You know, like couldn't accept anything. And then uh, she came back and she was fine. I was like, okay. And so the next time I had to do it, it was a little bit easier. But I think uh, the key, like you said, is to look at it and say, okay, your feelings were not being acknowledged as a child, Mm -hmm. right? And so you need to acknowledge them now so that you can feel safe. Yeah. And just saying, I hear you. This is scary. Yeah. And validating that. Validating it. It's like, yeah, this isn't fun. And this is a this is a reason to panic. This is a reason to panic. I don't mean that. But like, this is a reason to be scared. But yeah, I'm an adult. I got this. Like, you and I both know I would take a bullet for that cat. So like, (laughs) cat's gonna be fine. You know, like, and which I would that cat's my king. But (laughs) what's his name? Henry. How old is he? He is 10. He'll be 11 this year. And he is. It's really funny. I got him. I worked with this girl who was giving him away. And I literally was like, uh, I'll take him, I guess. I don't really like cats. Um, if he's awful, you have to take him back. But if he's great and then you want him back too bad. And she tried to get him back like three months later. And it went from like, I don't really care to me looking her in the eye and saying these words. I was like, the only way you're getting this cat back is if I'm in a body bag. And I don't think you're prepared to do something like that. So it went from me just being like, whatever. And now I'm like, I would follow this cat to the gates of hell. I said that to my aunt the other night. And she was like, oh, that's a weird thing to say about your cat. I'm like, I love this animal. It's incredible. Yeah. That, that's amazing. What a line. You need to put that in a movie or something. Yeah. The only way that you're getting this cat is if I'm in a body <laughs> And she just <laughs> stared at me and I was like, I don't think you're prepared to do something like that. So are we going to back off? And she was like, I'll back off. Then I ran into her like seven years later. So a couple of years ago. And she like right. talked to me for a little bit about whatever. And then she walked away and then came back and goes, oh, do you still have Henry? And I was like, yeah, I don't abandon animals. I was so mad. I was like, I could kill this woman. I would kill this woman if I had a chance, I think. But I'm grateful to her because now I have my best friend. So, yeah, you know, all is well that ends well. Yeah. And I have another cat. Her name is Lucy, but she knows where she stands here. 
Where does she stand? Is she lower on the totem pole? Well, she understood. Like, I think Henry knows that both of us, he is our king. Like, okay. Yeah. Lucy's. I rescued Lucy. She was found three weeks old under the Coliseum while football season was happening. So she is terrified. Uh, so I think of her as like me as like a traumatized kid, like where mm-hmm. she wants love, but doesn't know how to get it. So she'll like try to give me love and then I'll pet her and she'll flip out and go under the bed. And I'm like, I get it, girl. You'll you're like a kid who grew up in alcoholism. You're fine. The first couple, you know, because the first couple of weeks of her life were like a big chunk of her childhood. Right. Because like they don't sure. live as long as we do. So. Yeah. She'll 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 come around eventually. Cats take a long time though. Oh yeah. I mean, she lays with me when I'm asleep and she'll sit with me if I'm sitting, but she other than that, I respect her boundaries though. I had someone <laughs> I always talk about that though. I'm like my I had someone growing up who touched me a ton and I didn't want him to touch me. So you don't want me to touch you? I don't touch you. That's I brought yeah. that really to a dark, but circle back around you know what i mean no we're circling around it's okay i i have not touched these ducklings like other than like i guess scooping them out of a cool pool with school pool scooper but i have not touched them with my hands at all because they've made it very clear they don't want that so yeah let's respect the boundaries of people and animals of everybody about that some people don't want to be hugged and that's I have one cat that will allow me to give him the biggest bear hug and just lay there while I cry and hold him. Like he just lets me like hold him and cry. And I hear him in his head just being like, ah, she's at it again. I'll just stand here. (laughs) And then I have another cat who just worships him the way I like we worship this cat. And then, yeah, it's a fun dynamic. It's fine. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, um, I guess uh, before we go, is there anything else that you have coming up? I know you have your your podcast, obviously, Crawl Space. Yeah, and you're going to be the guest this week, or I don't know when this comes out, but you'll be the guest on my next episode. So that's awesome. I'm excited to come on there and do a little, little pod swap situation. I, know, I love it. I'm so excited. And you have your book coming out. Yes. Uh, in June. So can you tell us what that's going to be about? Yeah, it's called it's called uh, uh, Confessions of a Recovering Party Girl. And I, I was going to do retired, but I like recovering because I'm still a work in progress. And sure, I still may go out and make a mistake or two probably for the rest of my life. Right. So I like to recover- keep it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's <laughs> and so it's 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 stories about my dating life. It's but just all of the uh, inappropriate behavior and or inappropriate behavior, boundaries crossed, abuse, and kind of the loveliness in, in it and my growth. Do you know what I mean? Like all of the stuff I, I put up with. So I like to, I like to say it's like a, a cross between Chelsea Handler's My Horizontal Life and um, Girl, Wash Your Face, which I haven't read. The, I, I haven't read The Horizontal Life, but it is like very candid, very like graphic about my my dating and sex life. But then it's also about like, hey, now I know I'm better than that. I don't have to put up with a guy who never calls me back you know like whatever but it's chapters of each of the these relationships so i'm hoping it's like my podcast where it's like it helps people but it's also funny yes yes that's that's why i invited you on here because when we were talking in clubhouse i was like oh my god we're in the same zone we're like doing things where we're uh talking about these taboo subjects yeah you know but we're also trying to find a way to laugh about it so Yay. Yeah. And I, lo- I love that. I think it's I don't know. I think it makes it less intimidating, too. If it's like, hey, look, I'm a human, too. And and not like I always want to make it clear that even though I'm laughing at some of this stuff, like it's not dismissing it. Right. Like I when I'm like, haha, my dad abused me. Like, I'm like, no, I'm not. 
I believe me, I did a lot of the crying and not getting out of bed and like suicidal thoughts and all of that stuff that got me here to where I can openly talk about it. But but now you talk about it and and maybe you uh, you heal yourself a little bit more and maybe help somebody else in the meantime. Every time I share it, it takes away the power a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I feel like that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Crying Behind Sunglasses. I've been your host, Katie Dahl. And if you want to find out about my guest, Kim, uh, Kim Crawl, and you want to learn more about her, you can check her out on all the social medias. We have all the info in our description. If you want even more info, then you can go to cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I post all of our episode guides and our resources. We also have our Facebook support group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash cryingbehindpod. Or if you want to check out the podcast on the social medias, it's at cryingbehindpod. I usually post video clips or inspirational quotes or depression memes, you know, depending on my mood. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a grab bag. So anyway, I really appreciate you listening and taking the time. And if you enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps to get the word out about the podcast. So until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Hip, ear, ear.